welcome to We're Not Sisters Internet Sleuths, episode three. 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 Wow. Internet Sleuths is where we try to, as Eleanor wants me to say, defrost. Yeah. <laughs> defrost cold cases. Yeah, yeah. I only said that to please you. It's not becoming our catchphrase. Oh, but it is though, dude. Oh, but it's not. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it probably will become a thing, let's be real. Yay. No faces today, sorry. We've been having a lot of technical issues. Don't even, I just, it's a bad. Let's, we'll not even talk about it because. So much bad. You're just lucky that we're recording this right now at all. I was so close to going to bed, you don't even understand. <laughs> Feels. We've both got shorter cases this week. And I'm going to go first this week. Woo! Let's go. I just realised I haven't named mine. I'm just oh. going to call it the Burger Chef 4. The Burger Case. <laughs> okay. But before we start, I just want to give the disclaimer, as always, we don't mean offence to anyone that we talk about. And this is just information that we've compiled and now we're retelling back to you guys. And yeah. Let's cool begin. Okay, so this is the Burger Chef 4. I'm really Ooh. creative with my name. I don't know, I kind of like it. it. sounds like a movie. Could be a movie. Would be a good mm. movie. The Burger Chef 4. This is about four young employees who worked at a local burger joint and it was called Burger Chef. Great name. They all just vanished. And then later, sadly... They were all found murdered. And this is in 1978. So let's go back to the beginning. So rewind noise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so four young people were closing up the restaurant. So we've got Jane. She was 20. She was the assistant manager on duty. Ruth Shelton, she was 17. Daniel Davis, he was 16. And Mark Flemons, who was also 16. So I'm guessing this was like their first jobs and stuff. Yeah. Um, so Pocket they were doing, job. Yeah, exactly. They were doing the closing shift. So they were staying a few hours past closing to clean up and get things ready for the morning shift. Around midnight, one of them opened the back door to take out the trash. And what happened next, nobody knows. It's all speculation and theories. But we know for sure that somebody opened the back door. So, so as in like someone who worked there opened the back door? Yeah, well, no, the, well, yeah, you would think that if someone from the inside had opened the back door. Okay, and like left but, it open. You mean? Yeah, but we, we don't know for sure if it was someone who worked there or someone who happened to be in there. We just know yeah. the door was opened. Okay. After midnight, another employee went by the restaurant to visit the four and realised that no one was there. He goes and checks like the back area and he sees that the back door is open. The four employees were working were missing and the back door is open. That's all we know. He also Mm -hmm. notices that there's money missing. There's roughly about $500 was missing from the safe. The police were called, but they didn't take this seriously because it was four teenagers and only $500 was missing. So the police did come out and they see that there's money missing. They also found two empty currency bags, which to me sounds like the bags the money comes in before you put them in the till. Yeah, why would... The float bag. Why would they be left there empty? They Surely also if saw... They money, they 
fill them up and take them. exactly use them to or just take the money that's already in the bags they had like opened the yeah. bag and taken the money out they also found that two women's purses were left behind and some of the employees jackets were left behind as well which is a bit weird so jane the assistant manager that was on duty her car was also missing also because there was no sign of any physical struggle it literally looked like they walked out the back door with the money and that was it. So because it had seemed like nothing had happened, the next day the restaurant still had to open. So the next morning, the morning shifters come in to work and they clean. They clean the whole back area and the whole front area. So they're getting it ready for another day of business, but it's really frustrating because they've essentially gotten rid of any evidence that might have been there. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Next day, people started to worry because nobody that was scheduled to work that day showed up because it was the four. That same day, they found Jane's car. It was parked on the street near the police station. And that was also a short drive from the restaurant. But there was no signs that she had ever been in the car. No, like, keys, money, purse, coat, nothing. After her car was found, this is when people started to worry a bit more. So the police told the media that it was, quote, a very peculiar case. Indeed. Indeed. There were no leads and the employees' families hadn't heard anything from them. They were kind of expecting like a ransom call or something, but they hadn't heard anything. Because they hadn't found anything. Exactly. On a Sunday afternoon on November the 19th, some people were hiking on a trail And some hikers came across the bodies of all four of the missing employees. Um, This area was over 20 miles away from the Burger Chef restaurant, which was about a 40 minute drive. And it was right next to um, a high school, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Daniel and Ruth were found first. Both of them had been shot execution style multiple times with a 38 caliber firearm. Jesus. That's, That's terrifying. Jane was found nearby. She had been stabbed in the chest. The handle of the knife was broken off. So it was just the blade itself that was left in her body. Oh my God, that, that's difficult to do, surely. That must have been like so aggressive. Yeah. And they got it stuck. So the handle was gone, like missing. They yeah. never found it. Also that interesting that there were different methods. Yeah, used. even more methods to come. Mm. Yeah, so the handle was never located. The blade itself was recovered during the autopsy because it was still deep in her body. Mm-hmm. Yum. Lastly, Mark was found 75 yards away. He had suffered blunt force trauma to the head. And they actually believe this was a result of him running into something like a tree trunk. So huh? what, what they think happened was he had actually escaped and he was like oh. running from making a run for it. And he'd like gone right into a tree or something. So they think he must have run into a tree, hit his head, which knocked him unconscious. And then he fell downhill. And then I'm choked. sorry, but well, how unfortunate is that? I know. That's really bad. And then he choked on his own blood. Oh, God. That's how he died. So he like wasn't even killed. Well, here we go. Or was he? So they also found that he was hit by something else. So oh. the police think that the attacker or the killers like found him and just to make sure he's dead, they beat him up some more. Oh. He was already dead at that point. 
Also, just wanted to quickly mention this story. There's no evidence to be found on the internet. There's nothing about it, hardly, because it was in the 70s. There's not much online about it. There's nothing to, like, talk about their families. Like, how did they find out? Did the police go and try and get evidence from the burger place? The only way you can kind of get information about this was one of the police officers did an interview. He was the one who was mainly investigating. So he was the only credible source that I could find. This is all from him. Yeah. A general theory amongst the authorities was that this was some kind of robbery gone bad. One or more of the employees might have recognised one of the killers, or maybe one of them put up a fight and the rest of the workers had to be eliminated. There was a rumour that at least one of the victims had been involved with drugs, possibly selling weed out of the restaurant. You don't kill someone over weed. Exactly. Especially in the 70s, I don't think. Yeah. They seem to think that the dealer owed money and the supplier like come to collect and stuff and it oh, all yeah. happened at the restaurant. They literally had no idea what, what had happened at all. A witness actually came forward. It was a 16-year-old who was out that night. They said that they saw two suspicious-looking men outside the restaurant just before closing time. Hmm. Um, when asked to describe the two men physically, the witness said one of them had a beard and the other one had a clean-shaven face. And that was it. So really helpful stuff there yeah thanks so much yeah lots of information to work off of there um so the police had a lot of people of interest basically every man in that basically town. every man who can grow facial hair yeah and doesn't have who facial hair. so yeah every man every man basically bingo they started questioning around there was one man who was tracked to a bar on the west side where this man was reportedly bragging about the murders saying he'd been involved dude he said he did it to everyone at the bar. Hey guys, so, guess what I did yesterday? <laughs> guess I killed four I people. Four teenagers. Yeah, who's had the best day? I'll go first. It was... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, so the investigator on the case, he actually went to the bar off duty undercover to try and get a confession out of the guy. So he started playing pool with him, trying to coax a confession out of him, but he did not yeah. get one. But he did try his best. The police end up bringing him downtown, but he ended up passing a polygraph test and that apparently cleared him. Which it's crazy how polygraph tests like clear people. Yeah. So when they can't make them no longer a suspect when they yeah, when they can't be used. They can't be used in court. So how can that clear a suspect? That just like doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, so that guy was completely out of the running, even though he told everyone he did it. He didn't give any evidence either that he may have done it. So, like, a lot of the stuff of the crime scene wasn't out to the public yet. Like, the knife yeah. not having a handle, how some of them were found, like, the fact that they were all killed differently. So they were kind of asking him questions that only the killer would know the answers to, but not framing it like that. So, like, what yeah. he about the case and that he hoping he would accidentally slip up. Um, mm-hmm. And he had nothing. This guy was just drunk. Yeah. He was just drunk and was like, I guess Ooh. I did just because. That's so yeah. that's a weird thing to want to say when you're drunk. But Yeah, okay. right. If I ever say that when I'm drunk, please stop me. Oh my god. <laughs> so weeks ended up turning into months and there was nothing. Throughout 1979 and 1980, newspapers would randomly report on this case and mention a new prime suspect, but there was never a new prime suspect. That's really helpful. Wait, so there wasn't a prime suspect, they were just saying that. The newspapers kind of kept trying to make it news, 
and it wasn't because nothing had happened. Um, oh. so they were just making up stuff. That's weird. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually they would make up like someone, they would say like it's linked to a, a murder in the town next door to them or a town close by, oh. all of that. It's really it was reaching. Never... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They never led anywhere. But then in March 1981, Jane, the assistant manager Jane, who's dead, yeah. her brother ended up being arrested and he was um, arrested for possession of cocaine. Oh, um, yeah. And then police started to question him, maybe thinking he was involved. Because he, got he cleared. had cocaine. I don't know. I think they were kind of like, you, we'll put the blame on you. They were really just grasping at straws. Totally. He was cleared like almost immediately. They had no confession from anyone. They had no suspects, no physical evidence, nothing. The only thing they had was the end of the knife that was still in Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, and they haven't. They never found the bullet um, shell casings either. The burger place had been cleaned. There was nothing for anyone to go off. And they had potential suspects that were described to them as bearded and not bearded. <laughs> so <laughs> that's really helpful. Years have gone by, but the lead investigator <laughs> to this crime, he stayed on it. He found himself almost like fixated with the story. He really wanted to find out who did it. Yeah, I can um, imagine. He got very desperate. He reached out to psychics. He reached out to learn how to hypnotize people so that he could get better information from them. Um, but he didn't want to hypnotize people. He just wanted to kind of learn how to get things out of people. I have yeah. no idea. Do you know what's um, really weird? Like, hmm? it seems to be a thing, especially in like missing persons cases. Yeah. That the police talk to psychics. Yeah, if they have something they to say. Like, it's a thing. Wasn't yeah. that wasn't that in your last case as well? Probably. I'm pretty sure in a case that we've talked about before, the police talk to a psychic they do it a lot i think if they've got something to say they hear them out and then it never really goes it's just weird to me yeah yeah definitely yes he was kind of using them to try and get people to get more information so like someone who saw them maybe they would remember a name a license plate or like something they were wearing so in 1984 a 34 year old detective who had already been in the force for 16 years had been assigned to assist him in these murders. And then they got a tip in November. It was a phone call. It was from the Pendleton Correctional Facility where an inmate wanted to confess to the murders. Jailhouse confessions are a staple of criminal investigations in the US, apparently. Inmates will overhear fellow inmates talking about what they've done and then will offer Mm. that up as leverage to get less time or get something they want. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So investigators, they go and talk to this guy. His name is Donald Wayne Forrester. He was 34 years old and he'd just been convicted of raping a woman. This confused me. He had been sentenced to 95 years in prison. So for raping her. I don't know if it was just a rape because I don't think you can get that much for a rape. Unfortunately. Yeah, well, I believe he should, but um, yeah, I I think he had done some other things, but they weren't released yeah. to the public. This and he this... had to like serve them consecutively or something. Yeah, they probably all got added together. He'd been sentenced to 95 years and he was just about to be transferred 
to Indiana State Prison in Michigan as a sex offender. And it said that nobody wants to go to this prison and nobody wants to go to this prison as a sex offender because you will get killed. It was like knowledge that they will kill sex offenders in that prison. You've got a high chance of being killed in that prison anyway, let alone going in as a sex offender. Not my problem, dude. Maybe just don't be a sex offender. I I don't want to say killing people's right, but I... Yeah. Maybe just don't be a sex offender, dude. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, he want, he pretty much wanted to confess to these murders um, and then trade so that he wouldn't have to go to that jail. Oh, so he was just using it. Yeah. Really? Because he was going to spend his whole life in prison anyway. Well, it's only so it's like, be well a few might weeks. as well just say I murdered. Yep. They did a background check on this guy. And they see Mm -hmm. that he actually grew up in the area that was pretty close to where the murders took place. Mm. And so at the time he was living in Speedway, which is where this took place. Sorry, I didn't say that before. And he had just at that time gotten out of prison for another rape conviction. So he was fresh. He was fresh on the scene. He was fresh meat. Young. (laughs) So they interview him on camera. He ends up confessing to killing Davis and Shelton, who I believe are the ones who were shot. Mm. they start digging a bit deeper and asking just little details that only he would know that weren't released to the public yeah um they actually ended up getting this guy into the back of their car and they would go he would basically say i'm going to drive you to where the bodies were found or where i did it yeah um they said the area the bodies were found but like you wouldn't know where on the hiking trail that they were found if they if you get what i mean yeah like where exactly on exactly Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said on the trail, but not where on the trail. Exactly, because that was like miles and miles. So, yeah, so he took them directly to where the bodies were. um, Mm. And this was something that wasn't public. He also outlined precisely where and in what position the bodies were found. And according to detectives, he was spot on. Interesting. Over the next two years, Donald would call in and talk to them and give them a bit more information. Also, two years is a long time to just be letting him talk. Yeah, like, where's he going? Hello, today. I just <laughs> wanted to call and tell you this. Like, oh Why my don't god, you guys. just say it all at once? He'd be like, "Oh my god, guys, good morning." But like, as I was <laughs> sleeping, I just remember this one detail that you're really gonna want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, today I have a new little bit of info to tell you. I know you've been waiting for it. Spill the tea, Donald. I can finally release it to you. Oh my god. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. So he'd call in over two years and give them more information. According to him, Jane's brother, the one who was arrested for the cocaine, he owed money for a drug deal. So they came that night to the burger joint to simply... So this is him and other people, Donald. Yeah. They came to just threaten Jane so that the brother would then pay up. Because he wanted to protect his sister. His sister. So one yeah. of the other boys, one of the dead boys, stepped in to kind of defend her. They started fighting. Yeah. They go out into the back into the car park which is why the door would have been open it was open um they start fighting and he ends up and he falls and he hits his head and he said he hits his head on his van like the bumper which is blunt force trauma so tree trunk Hmm. bumper perhaps Hmm. and so now the killers who came to simply threaten jane they're like oh no we've just killed someone um, their thought process was, well, now we've just got to kill all of them because they all know what just happened, which is that's not a very mm. good thought process, dude. <laughs> no, especially if they were that, like, stressed about killing someone. Exactly. Because they didn't even mean to, apparently. Yeah, 
exactly. You'd be like, oh no, I accidentally killed someone. I guess I'll have to kill all of them now. (laughs) That's the only way. Weird. So they basically get into Jane's car and drive them out and just kill them. Again, this isn't a fact. This is just what Donald is telling the detectives. Yeah. Um, So there's no proof any of that happened in the way that he's telling it, but they're more inclined to believe him at the moment because he is good at knowing things. Yeah. Um, He tells the detectives that he shot two people, but that there were three other guys involved. And he didn't name, as in three, he was with three people and they were Uh, the killers also. That I got yeah. confused. I was like, no, there were four kids. Like, yeah, that's what I was you like. shot, you've already killed three of them. That means there's one left. <laughs> it was him and three other guys. So there was five of mm-hmm. them. No, there was four of them and four kids. Yeah. Um, but apparently Donald did m- most of the killing. I don't know what this guy's talking about. He's not specific. And then other times he's really specific. That's so, what makes it suspicious about whether he's telling the truth or not. Exactly. I have thoughts, but I'll, I'll, I'll think them at the end. Okay. Um, yeah, so he says that there are three other guys involved and the only reason the detectives are believing him at the moment is because he knew about the knife being in Jane and the handle being broken. Oh, that's a very specific, like, th- that's not something you can guess. Exactly. You would never, ever think that the knife was stuck in her body uh, to the point where they couldn't even see it when they saw her body. It wasn't until they did an autopsy when they found it in her and oh that the God. handle was yeah. missing. Like, someone could have been like, oh, the handle was, like, next to it or something. I don't know. Yeah, like, the handle was just broken off, but it was there. Exactly. So the gun, murder weapon, was never found. Donald Mm -hmm. told them that he threw the gun into the White River, which was close by, and he threw it off of a bridge. So he takes the detectives to the said bridge and says, like, oh, I threw it like this. Um, But when the police went to search the water, nothing was ever found. So detectives Mm -hmm. go and they question Donald's ex-wife. She told detectives that her and Donald were driving somewhere and they ended up pulling over. He said he needed to check something and she didn't really ask questions. They pulled over to the dirt road and he essentially took her in the car to where the bodies were found. He said he needed to retrieve shell casings from when he was shooting out there. And she said, okay, whatever. She sat in the car, he gets out, he goes to the wooded area, picks up the shell casings and then they go home. And the ex-wife tells detectives that he ended up flushing them down the toilet that day. So he lied about throwing all the stuff in the bridge and everything. Wait, no, but he said he threw the gun. Yeah, but... Did he say he threw the shell casings as well? I think he said that he at least picked them up, like, when they were all there, not that he ever went Uh, back. Yeah. Um, This lady's... But also that's very... Yeah, that still incriminates him, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm. detectives go to the house in question. They don't live there anymore. Someone else lives there. And they find out that the bathroom is connected to a septic tank. So pretty much oh. all of the doo-doo gets collected in the tank. So, so it would be in there. Exactly. So they got a warrant to dig up the tank and they found the shell casings of the thirty-eight caliber. <gasps> oh, my God. Mm. So he wasn't lying about that either. So the detectives are like, this is our guy. He knows things that nobody else knows, and we have physical evidence. Not evidence that would prove yeah. anything, but we've got but, something. Yeah. Oh, geez. This is where it all goes downhill. Oh, On no. the 14th of November 1986, someone working in the police department decided to release information about this case and their new suspect to the press. Once the press had released this information, it freaked Donald out. 
He was afraid of retribution from his associates. He recanted three days later, which means he ended up taking back everything he ever said and that he was lying, which means the police could not use any of that as evidence. Oh, Donald. No, <laughs> no not Donald. Who was the guy who told the press? like oh newspapers i've got something for you he must have been fired oh 100 there's no way they would have let that slide there and they usually fucked up a whole case a whole case dude yeah so they basically they couldn't get the final piece of evidence they needed they had a confession on tape but i saw in the document that i was reading it said that they couldn't get final evidence they needed but like to me isn't a camera confession enough I'm so but not confused. if he took back that confession. Yeah, then they can't use it. And also, but I was thinking as well, aren't the shell casings that they found like still valid? It doesn't tie him physically to the scene. He just knew where they were. Uh, um, true. It's, bit, it's a bit too much of a reach because yeah. there's nothing to tie him to the shell casings. He just happened to find yeah. them for them. Um, yeah, you could just say that he picked them up and then flushed them down the toilet just because. Yeah, like, oh, I found these. And then it doesn't mean he did anything. Exactly. Oh, so that's so annoying. I know. Yeah, so December the 22nd is when the police announced that Donald would not be charged on this case and that the case has gone back to being cold. Yeah, so Donald, he ended up dying in prison um, in 2006. Oh. Um, Just of old age? or I don't know. I need to look into that further because I really want to know if he did just get Done. Or if he, yeah, if he did get sent to that prison <laughs> in the end, since he never got charged, literally. So basically, everyone thinks that the evidence they really needed was the names of the three other killers, and he never ever gave yeah. them up. One of the main investigators, the guy that I got all the information from, he still obsesses over the case because he knew he had the guy. He was really frustrated, and he says like people like constantly come up to him and say, "Well, it's not really a cold case because you had the guy." So yeah, so it's been over forty years since these murders. Investigators released a photo of the blade that was retrieved from Jane, hoping it would bring some leads forward, but nothing happened. So that is the story of the murders at Burgershire. Damn. Me think. Oh, can I say what me think first? Yes, you go. Me think he was there. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was there, but he didn't like, he wasn't as involved as he claimed to be. Yeah. But he knows the people who like did most of it and he was there with them. And that's how he knew all of those details. Or alternatively, Mm -hmm. well, this one's, this one's a bit more difficult because it's a lot of detail to remember. Mm Mm-hmm. But somebody else that he knew from prison, or like just somebody else that he knew, could have told him. That's what I think. I think somebody, because apparently when inmates tell people of the crimes they did and they got away with, they're like they're completely in detail, like so that everything and where everything was, what they did. So I think that someone told him that he told them everything he knew because he saw an opportunity to not be sent to that prison. Yeah, um, it was like something he heard and he remembered the details. Yeah, and was like, and then, to my advantage. Exactly, and then as soon as he knew that people would know that he went down for these murders, he knew that he didn't actually do them and didn't want that. Like, he didn't want people to think that he, I don't know, who cares, he yeah. raped but women. But so. with that theory, my question is then, 
why were the shell casings in his septic tank in his old house? Yeah. If it was just a story that someone else told him. That makes me yeah. think more he was there, but it wasn't him. What if the wife did it? She was very helpful with her information and she didn't need to be. Um, But wasn't it his ex-wife? A bit. I think she was wife at the time. Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe they had beef. Because she seemed to know all of the details and was really happy to give them up. But then she said when he was like, I need to go to this really dodgy area and pick up some shell um, casings. she's like, okay, I will not ask any questions. Yeah, I think she... That is a bit weird. She probably... I don't know if she did anything, but she probably knows more than she's letting on. She was letting on. Yeah, yeah. She could have been one of the three other people. Because, I mean, she's dating someone who's been in and out and jail she probably knows that he is not exactly a nice uh, guy a good character Mm -mm. yeah it's an interesting one i'm also very intrigued that he never gave up any other names yeah because he knew he was going to die in prison he had a 95 year sentence and he was in his 30s so surely that wouldn't have meant anything to him to tell the names uh i mean i don't know some well, people are really, real, really loyal to their friends and like. Mm-hmm. That's true. What if, like, especially if they're in a gang or something? Oh yeah, that's true. For example, but what if or he like, just didn't know the names? What if he just? Didn't Why would know? you be there with people whose names you don't know? No, as in like there were never other three people. It was just him, and it he was, was trying to make him. it sound other like other people were there. I don't know why he would do that though. Mm, mm, I don't know. I, the fact that there were four people as well in the case, it feels like yeah. there had to at least have been two perpetrators. Because two of them were killed the same, one was something else, and one was something else. Yeah, while yeah. you're shooting two people in the head, yeah, execution style. Multiple times. And the other two are there. You can't like yeah, keep an eye doing? on them at the same time. To me, it seems like... Yeah, like, to me, it seems like three different people because it's three different ways of killing. Hmm, that that makes sense. Mm. Or two who? because of the... Actually, no, because you know the one who, like, had the blunt force trauma? Ran away, yeah. Yeah, if he did run away or whatever, if it was the other two, because you know how they were beating him up to make sure he was dead? Mm-hmm. If it was the other two in this theory that we have... Wouldn't they have just shot him or stabbed him? Oh, yeah, because they actually had weapons. Oh, wait, to be fair, they couldn't have stabbed him because the knife broke. Yeah, but they could have shot him. <laughs> but they could have shot him unless they had no more bullets. Because they did say... God, they I need shot. to stop coming up oh. with all these, these counter-arguments to my own arguments. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting one because there's so many different things that could have happened because nobody knows at all what happened. Yeah. And Donald seemed to think he knew, but... I wonder if um if they had clean if they hadn't have cleaned the burger yeah. place if there would have been any evidence there. There's like a running theme in my stories of the police are trash. <laughs> we be new. Yes, indeed. Greta's turn. Interesting case though. Mm, it is, yeah. <laughs> okay, so today I will be talking about the case of Delia Day. Ooh. And like yours, there is not much information online. We love to see it. 
but not for the same reason. Mm. You'll find out why afterwards. But this case as well isn't like the standard unsolved cold case, but it is mm-hmm. really debated about what happened because no one really knows. Ooh. Cool beans. Mm-hmm. So also shout out to Eleanor Neal, as usual, because we love you, her video, <laughs> because her video on this was really helpful. So Delia Day is a pseudonym used by a woman online. Her real name is Susan Anton. I don't want to keep switching back and forth between the names, so mm-hmm. I'll just stick to calling her Delia for the podcast. Sounds good. She was a f- she was a photographer, artist, and web blogger, but I'll get more into depth about that shortly. So, for a bit of background on Delia, she was married to a man named Travis, who worked as a computer programmer. They've been mm-hmm. married for 10 years and had two children together. They appear to be stable and, you know, they suited each other well, and apparently they seem like a happy family. Delia and Travis sent their children to boarding school for most of the week, and this was because of the lifestyle that they lived. They were very heavily into BDSM, which, if you don't know, is a variety of often erotic practices or role-playing involving bondage, discipline, dominance and submission, sadomasochism, and other related interpersonal dynamics. So, you know, the... The BD is bondage and discipline, the DS is dominance and submission, and the SM is sadism and masochism. So, the web blog that Delia ran was called My Illustrated Life as a Sex Slave, which gave an intimate look into her full-time master-slave lifestyle. Uh, She was a slave, and Travis was a sadistic master. Now, her writing on this blog was actually very well respected, and she wrote a lot of intelligent pieces. And she and Travis contributed a lot within the BDSM community. And they were also seen by a lot of people as an ideal example of the SM lifestyle of what is normal and healthy. Ooh. Yeah. Dilo's blog isn't available online anymore. So I can't tell oh. you too much about it. Uh, but this is what I could find. As soon as you would enter the website, you would be given a one-time disclaimer. So once you clicked it, you would never get that disclaimer again. But, you know, for legal reasons and stuff, she had to put that. Cool. Um, And it stated that it was not a porn website. It was a blog of her real-life experiences as a sex slave. Okay. She also stated that she is an owned sex slave and her master was her husband. Once you get past the disclaimer... You would see many pictures of Delia alongside articles that she had written in their day-to-day life. She would write about what they had done that day, answer questions from, you know, their fans and other people. And she was apparently very witty, likeable and bright. The content of the blog ranged from very casual things like normal pictures of Delia and her tattoos, piercings, things like that, to very hardcore BDSM content like bondage, branding, cuts. You can Mm. probably imagine very wild things. She went from zero to 100 daily. Yes, definitely. But they were very, very into BDSM. Um, They even ran a subscription on this blog, which allowed you to have access to even more content, more pictures, more articles, more diary posts, whatever. You would get more. I think it was like... She would have enjoyed OnlyFans. That's what I was thinking. Aww. It was about it was about eight dollars a month, I think. Ooh, that's good. 
Alongside this blog, Delia ran another blog which was like a live journal where she spoke more informally and personally but it was still definitely about BDSM and those kinds of things because, you know, that was her life. These blogs were doing really well. As I said, they were really well respected within the BDSM community and they ran them for years. Loads of people were interested in their blogs. Delia wrote her last blog post on December the 1st, 2003 at 7.02pm on her more personal um, live journal blog. Mm -hmm. It was titled Locked Up Tight. I'll read you most of it, but I took out a few parts that weren't important. Okay. Everything feels better after that except my crotch. My pants are a little tight now. I'm packing more in them than I usually do, and so far not complaining, not out loud at least. It was two this afternoon when my owner came inside. He had been out in his office working while I was working. He briskly marched past me, ducking into the bedroom, then came right back out. I thought he must have been going to get something, and I was right, but never could have guessed what he was getting, or why, when he commanded in that voice that begs immediate compliance, like a drill sergeant, stand up and drop your pants. <laughs> I stood up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh. I stood up, then I saw the big brass padlock in his hand. He unscrewed the top barbell through my labias and slipped the padlock through them, snapping it shut with a click. Hold that on, was wait. Where's the... Where's he looking up? Her vagina. She's got... Okay, basically, <gasps> in her labia, I thought she's, so. got four, she's got four piercings. Like, he'll, uh, she'll explain oh. afterwards in the post, but... Essentially, she's got four piercings and they all have a padlock. Oh, my God. That you can put in them. What the f***? You know what? I, re I, I respect her because... That's incredible. That sounds awful. Why did you do that to yourself? I don't know. She liked it, apparently. Well, did what? she like it? Well, mm, mm -hmm. maybe. We'll see. Okay. <clears throat> that was it. I pulled my pants back up and tried to sit down again, afraid of the pinch I knew was coming. The lock is big. It's two inches wide and three inches tall, weighing several ounces, which sounds light until it's hanging all day long from holes in your genitals. <laughs> oh my god. A few ounces start to get heavy very fast. I'm glad he just brought one lock out, which I presume he did because he means to leave it there a long time. He's got four locks just like that. One for every pair of holes through my labias. With them all in, the weight pulls them down, stretched two inches, and the bulk of them makes walking normally all but impossible. One hasn't been so bad today. It's been a lot more comfortable than I suspected, but I'm still paranoid of that big pinch when I move just the wrong way that I'm certain is still coming. If not today, then tomorrow. Something tells me the lock isn't coming off for a long time and I know he's getting a thrill from the inconvenience it's imposing on my movement, even if he hasn't uttered another word about it yet. This is weird, dude. Yes, just, I mean, yeah. They were, it's definitely not for everyone. Nope. So, you know, she clearly seemed a bit physically uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. that was the sort of thing that they did. It doesn't seem like she's surprised. 
yeah and you know this was her most her more personal blog so mm-hmm. she would detail how she was feeling and even though it was things that they liked yeah like it's meant to be uncomfortable but that was part of the enjoyment for them yeah um and this kind of post was very typical for delia's more personal blog so you know it doesn't okay. seem strange or anything uh however just hours after posting this Delia called the police, saying that she had murdered her husband, Travis. Oh, she described her. (laughs) (laughs) She described her husband getting a used shotgun and teaching her how to use it, apparently for home defense. Then at 2 a.m. on December 2nd, she had shot him in the chest with this very gun, killing him instantly. So, of course, she was arrested and her blog, as well as Travis's, were taken down. Not, I don't know if they were taken down or if they were just like, put offline but either way you couldn't access them anymore the reason why so much of the information on this case is hard to find is because in the end it wasn't actually categorized as a murder case oh after her arrest and her questioning and the trial and everything a grand jury failed to indict her and delia's case was actually ruled as self-defense this is because mm. of the S&M lifestyle that her and Travis lived. Oh. So, you know, she got away with it, basically. Yeah. Not she got away with it, but she was Not never a... charged with anything. It was classed as self-defense. Wait, she wasn't charged with anything? Like, no, she wasn't like charged with anything. No, what? it was classed as self-defense. She went home? Yeah. What the hell? After this, Delia completely disappeared online. She moved, she changed jobs. She never offered any explanation as to what happened. It really, you know, makes you wonder if this was random or if this had been building up for a really long time. Yeah. And she just snapped finally. And so, you know, obviously they had so many fans and so many people who read their blogs. Mm. So loads of people were speculating as to what happened. And there are several theories that people came up with. Okay, that's first is that it was an accident in a Russian roulette type incident. This is because in BDSM lifestyle, something like this, which is very thrill seeking, um, and you know, scary but exciting, they're into that sort of thing. And so Russian roulette, not completely out of the ordinary Mm -hmm. for them to do. But I think I think that's a less believed one, but it's still possible. Okay. Theory two is that it really was self-defense. A lot of people speculate that it was actually an abusive relationship behind the scenes and they Mm -hmm. had a fight and it led to Delia needing to protect herself. Or even deeper, maybe this whole BDSM lifestyle wasn't consensual at all. Some people believe that Delia really was a slave and was forced to do all of these things by Travis. She was forced to, you know, pose mm-hmm. for all the pictures. She was forced to write these blogs and to be a sex slave to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some people think one day she just snapped and she killed her abuser. Oh, gosh. Theory three is that maybe it was actually just a murder. And Delia just used the self-defense thing as a way to get away with it. Which is very clever. 
very clever. Like, she went home, dude. She had nothing. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. So, there was nothing for two years. Completely silent. She was, she was gone. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew anything. Then, in 2005, someone claiming to be Delia emailed, like, a blogger or something who was looking at the case, you know, and discussing it in forums and stuff, trying yeah. to solve it, and told them that all of the blog posts on both of her blogs were never actually her, they were all Travis. She's stating how she really was finally wanting to come clean about everything and she was really excited to get it all out in the open. And this person obviously was like, oh my God. So they emailed back and things like that and, you know, tried to have a discussion, but they never got an email back after that. Oh, that's so Very weird. And also there's absolutely no way to confirm whether that was actually Delia or if it was someone just saying that. Yeah. But then in 2013, a whole eight years later, uh, another blog was created. And this, we think, can be confirmed to be Delia because she posted a picture of, like a recent picture of her on the blog. Uh And a lot of people reverse image searched it and things like that. And you can't find it anywhere else on the internet. New photo. So, So it seems like it is actually her. And on this blog, she posted some writing and it was titled, When Consensual Isn't an Option. <gasps> and this detailed everything about how Travis was really controlling her. Aww. She said that she was forced to do everything and that it was also Travis writing all of the blogs. She never had a say in any of them at all. He took the pictures, he wrote and edited the articles, he answered questions from their fans pretending to be her. She never had a say in anything. And a lot of people think that there is actually evidence to prove this because the writing styles in the blog Confirmed to be Delia versus the illustrated Life as a Sex Slave are different. For example, Delia uses, uh, when she's writing numbers, she wrote them as actual numbers, whereas Mm -hmm. on the other blog they were typed with letters. Okay, like words. Yeah. In Delia's blog, she used loads of emoticons, emojis, whatever you want to call them. In the illustrated Life as a Sex Slave, there were never any emoticons. Hmm. And also, there were, I can't remember the other examples, but there were other examples of quite significant differences in the typing styles, which I think could possibly be evidence to say that it wasn't her, because... It's like changing mm-hmm. your handwriting, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's not really something that you think about when you're typing. You just type. Yeah, That's definitely. just how you do it. So people think that's enough evidence to prove it. But on the other hand, people say that if she did purposely murder him, what's to say that she's not posting this on purpose, you know? Yeah. This could be all a ploy to continue on making people believe that it was self-defense. And Mm -hmm. she could be purposely changing her writing style if she was going to claim that it was Travis. That's so true. So, yeah, there's still debate as to whether it was self-defense or if it was just murder. Uh, But either way, she's, I think she's disappeared, really. Oh, my God. She just lives a normal life. I did read a post somewhere from Reddit. So that, 
makes it not very credible, to be honest. And I did not see any evidence for what they said. Mm-hmm. But it was just a screenshot. But basically, they thought that they found her Facebook now. Oh. And they said that she was really religious now and she was remarried. Like, I think she'd been remarried like three times now or something oh. like that. But apparently she's really religious and living a normal life. So, I don't know. Cool. That's What do you think? My goodness. Hmm. I really don't know, dude. I can't get my thoughts in the <laughs> sentence because it's so baffling. Yeah. Because it would just make so much sense for it to be self-defense, but it would also make even more sense for it just to be murder. Yeah. I think because... also because, like, you know how you said that he taught her how to use that shotgun for, like, home defense. If she had Yeah, but that's what she said. And also... She could have made that up. Yeah, but also, if he did do that, then something in her head could have been like, that's a decent weapon. And then Yeah, like, she could have it. seen that and been like, okay, this is my opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I think I am leaning a bit more towards murder. But, but murder in the sense that she just didn't like him anymore and just wanted to kill him, or... Murder as in it was an abusive relationship, but it wasn't a self-defense moment. Like she wasn't being attacked in that moment, but he was still an abuser. I think it was because he was an abuser, to be honest. I do think that as well. I just... (sighs) Especially with the blog that is apparently her. It's so difficult to say because there's not much information There's really not. But and it's crazy how the police just dropped it. I don't even yeah. know if they did, like, crime scene investigation or anything. They really just saw BDSM and they insane. said, we got to go. Yeah, she do was like, oh, yeah, we do S&M. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, must have been self-defense then. Yeah. Because yeah, on her blog, weird. she was even saying how, like, she didn't even have a safe word. She just had to put up with everything that Travis did to her. Oh. So, mm. like, she just... Yeah, it was not consensual at all. That's what she said. I feel like the padlock thing really shows that it probably wasn't consensual. Because why would you feel like you need to do the padlock thing if there was trust? Or if it's just like, this is mine, I've locked it (laughs) because it's mine. Yeah, I don't know. It's, It's very difficult to understand both BDSM, if you're not that into it, but also... It varies so much what people do based on yeah, their personal relationship. So, you know, I don't know. People are into weird things and yep. very obscure things. So who's to say that she didn't like that? Yeah, exactly. Because as well, if they were piercings, yeah, she'd have to go somewhere to get them pierced. Exactly. I also, I, I didn't mention this in what I was saying, but for their 10th anniversary Mm. she got well apparently he gave her he didn't do it but like his gift to her was a tattoo of a collar around her neck (gasps) you'll see it in pictures but it's literally like a collar to show that like she was a slave she was owned by him (gasps) oh my god he's like here i'll go depending on which way you look at it Mm. that is really bad if she was forced now she's got that forever because in the recent picture on her blog she still got that tattoo oh my god Mm. Mm. that's horrible yeah i feel 
feel bad for her, but then I'm like, I'm really hoping this wasn't just a, it was consensual and she was happy and she just thought to just murder him one day. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me to just, and she's never had any problems before or since. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't seem like she's, you know, I don't know, mentally ill or something and just did it. Yeah. Something must have urged her to do it. You know, yeah, there must have been yeah. something that caused it. It wasn't random. It's just got me so confused because there's nothing to say anything. <laughs> yeah, it's really, I know. just your opinion. But yeah, I mm. think I definitely think that you know there had to be some reason for it. And even if he wasn't yeah. abusive, uh, maybe the the BDSM lifestyle was getting too much for her, and mm -hmm. he didn't want her to stop. He, you know, yeah, they were having arguments about that. Maybe I don't know. And so she wanted out, but he didn't want that. And so she was like, oh, my only way out is to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know. It had some interesting case. cases today. Very interesting. Very thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. Many thoughts. Head empty. Those are two very conflicting statements. <laughs> Uh, but I think we'll leave it at that then this week. Yeah. Let us know what you think about these cases because I like hearing what other people think of the cases. Yeah, so interesting to hear other people's thoughts. Especially these ones, I think uh, they're very open to interpretation. Definitely. So, you know, yeah. there might be other people who have completely different ideas of what happened to us. So please mm -hmm. let us know because I'm yeah, yeah. curious. Curious, George. If you enjoyed this episode... Please leave us support in any way you can. Subscribe, comment, leave a like, all of that jazz. Jazz. Tell your friends to listen to us because we need more friends. Here As on always. The podcast. Many As friends. always. Many friends be our friend. Thanks. Thanks. Follow us on Twitter at We Not Sisters and on TikTok as well. Also at We Not Sisters, but that one's with two S's on the end. Because we're sorry, cool. it's confusing, but the other one was taken, so they there's nothing we can it. do about it. They stole it. <laughs> I know thieves. We should report. We should everyone go report that account oh so we can take their username. Oh I'm joking. Please don't do that. <laughs> but if you do, I won't mind. But don't. Do but don't. Do but don't. I can't stop you from doing it, but I'm not telling you to. Do but don't. <laughs> Anyway, that's it from us this week. We'll see you next week with the Creepypasta Showdown. We'll definitely have cameras on then because yeah. it's time to see Elena get spooked. Oh, jeez. Okay. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye.